Thank you. He is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Let me begin this morning by sharing with you thoughts from other people that I came across this week. First thought, life is fragile. Very little in this life is secure. Like we just found out a few minutes ago, our streaming to Facebook Live. Lost it. Our lives can change so quickly. On a personal level, a doctor may have some hard news for us, or a car may swerve in front of us. On a global level, we are in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. When was the last time that we had so many countries affected so much at the same time? Who would have thought that social distancing would become an everyday phrase? Second thought. Life right now can feel exhausting, frustrating, and discouraging. We all wish at times that our families or school or work, sometimes even church, would be easier. Right now we can say, I wish that shopping would be easier, that there were less conflicts and less brokenness, less difficulties in all the parts of life. And life certainly right now seems harder. Well, the third point's in contrast to those first two. It comes from the Tuesday men's Bible study that I'm a part of. There we saw that God created mankind to live in his garden. But Adam distrusted and disobeyed God, and a kind of exile began. They were out of the garden. We certainly are not in God's garden right now. And that explains the brokenness of the first two thoughts. But at the end of history, the whole earth will be made the garden of God again. Death and decay and brokenness and suffering will be gone. Jesus will restore. He will make the world our perfect home again. Now, how does this change, this restoration happen? It begins with Jesus' resurrection. Last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' perfect life, including his last week before his crucifixion. Last Friday, just a couple of days ago, we looked at Jesus' perfect death. And it's so easy to forget that that death was very gruesome and it was painful. If you want an idea of what it was like, watch the Passion of the Christ. Today, we look at Jesus' glorious resurrection. So follow along with me as I read Matthew 28. I'm sorry, we're getting a little interruption. I'm on the podium mic. Okay, so we're having more technical problems, and for whatever reason, my wireless is not working. Follow along with me as I read Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now before we look at the resurrection, let's take a minute and look at some of the people that we meet in the resurrection accounts here in Matthew that we just read and then in the others, uh, Mark, Luke, and John. There are so many ways that we see the humanness of the people involved in the resurrection accounts, and I'm glad that we do because, as I'll say again, we're so much like them. So two bits of, of, of background that we need to have in mind before we look at the people. The first is this. At least three times, Jesus told his followers that he would be killed and rise from the dead after three days. Three times he, he said this. And this was not private knowledge. We know that it's not private knowledge because the religious leaders that, that were who opposed to Jesus had heard this. <clears throat> and so right after Jesus' death, they asked Pilate's permission to put a guard on Jesus' tomb. Now, I don't believe the religious leaders thought that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. What, I think what they were afraid of was that somebody would steal his body and claim that he rose from the dead. So that's the one thing. And then second, Jesus died Friday afternoon, and he was hurriedly buried in a borrowed tomb because the Sabbath began Friday at sundown, and no work was to be done on the Sabbath. We read in the account that he was on the cross, from, there was darkness while he's on the cross, from noon until three, and shortly at three or, or shortly after he died, but he wasn't taken down immediately. The other the, the two criminals that were with him were still there and alive. And again, not too long from three until sundown, and everything had to be done. And because the burial was so rushed, the normal practice of putting spices on the body did not happen on Friday. So those two things to keep in mind as we look at four different groups of people. I keep showing three, I mean four, four groups of people. First one are the guards. The guards are just doing what they're told. They are guarding a tomb, and so they're standing guard Friday night and Saturday during the day and Saturday night, and then Sunday morning just before dawn, they see an angel. They've never seen one before. <laughs> they are overcome with fear, and they faint. They are out cold. Later, the Jewish religious leaders bribe the guards to lie and say that they'd fallen asleep, and the religious leaders smooth things over with the Roman authorities. Second group of people, the women. We read in Matthew that some women came to Jesus' tomb. We read in other accounts there were other women as well that came. And our verses in Matthew don't tell us, but the, uh, some other passages do, that they came with spices to put on Jesus' body. Now, if you remember the, the typical practice in Jesus' day when they buried somebody, they didn't bury them in a casket in the ground like we do. They buried them in a tomb. They would take the body, cover it with pounds and pounds of spices, wrap it all up, and the spices would help the flesh decay so that you'd be left just with bones. And so the women are coming to Jesus' tomb with spices. That tells us something. That tells us they were expecting to find Jesus' dead body. Now, if the women had really believed Jesus, they wouldn't have been carrying any spices, but they were. So either they didn't remember that Jesus had said he would rise from the dead, or they didn't believe it. Either way, they're like us. So they come to the tomb, the angel talks to them, they see that the tomb is empty, they see Jesus, and they run back to tell the disciples, Jesus' disciples, which is the third group of people. 
Now, we normally, when we talk about the disciples, we're thinking of Jesus' closest 12 disciples, now 11, Judas Iscariot, having died. The people, and these were the guys that had been chosen by Jesus. They had been with Jesus every day for three years. They had seen all of Jesus' miracles. They had heard all of Jesus' teaching. They had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. And they too had heard at least three times Jesus say that he was going to die and then rise from the dead. The women have gone. They've seen the angel. They've seen the tomb. They've seen Jesus. They come back. They report. And the disciples don't believe them. At least Peter and John go and check it out. And sure enough, yeah, the tomb is empty. And then the last group are two men. And we meet them in Luke 24. They're called the two men on the road to Emmaus. It's Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead. And they're in Jerusalem. They had been in Jerusalem. They're now traveling to Emmaus, a little town about seven miles away. And what you see with them, just as with the disciples and the women, is if it was you, you wouldn't want that record in the Bible for other people to read because it's embarrassing of, of what you're not believing, of, of what you've done. And yet it's all in there, which actually makes it, it helps support the idea of the truth of the Bible because if the New Testament was made up, you wouldn't put that kind of stuff in there, but it's there. And so Luke 24 says it's Sunday. Here are these two men walking back to Emmaus, and Jesus comes up, and he starts walking with them, but they don't recognize him. And he asks them what's going on. And so it's kind of funny. They end up telling Jesus about his own death. Oh, he was a prophet, and we thought he was the one to come to make everything right, but then just like that, everything changed. Thursday night, he's arrested. Friday, he's tried and crucified. And now, this morning, and here's how we know that they were there with the other people. <clears throat> they say, some women went to the tomb, came back and said, it's empty. They met a, a, an angel and they met Jesus. A couple of the other disciples go. And yet, where are these two guys? They're on their way home. They're not believing either. And... You look at them, and we are so much like them. Most of us, if you've been in the church very long, you've heard the things we're talking about, about the resurrection before, and so you can put it in quotes, we know, but do we really believe? Do you and I live differently because of the resurrection? And the answer is, if we're honest, sometimes yes and sometimes no. Well, let me say this. Ever since Jesus' resurrection, people have argued that it didn't happen. But there were over 500 witnesses that saw Jesus after his resurrection. There were people who saw the nail scars in his hands and in his feet. There are other evidences that support Jesus' resurrection, and we actually just sang about some of them. The change in Jesus' disciples. They went from being this group that just were fighting with each other to a group and had been afraid, They're, they ran when Jesus was arrested. All of a sudden, they become bold and strong, and they're willing to die, and they do die as they tell other people about Jesus. And you look at the growth of the early Christian church. It, it began and grew in the middle of persecution. Another thing that has come to light in the last mm, 30, 40 years or so, archaeologists keep discovering copies of the New Testament manuscripts and the, the ones that some of the ones they found they believe now were made within 40 years 
of the writing, of the original writing of those letters, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, within 40 years. And so if the New Testament was made up, if it was all fabricated, and this letter is being sent out, and we now have copies of it within 40 years of it being written, and people knew it was fake, people would have said something. But we don't have any record of them saying it's fake. What we have is we have records <clears throat> in groups, including people that are not part of the Christian church, saying, oh yeah, we've heard these reports about this man named Jesus, and his followers say he rose from the dead. That's what we have. So, for the rest of the sermon, I want to focus on the answer to this question. Actually, six answers to this question. What did Jesus accomplish through his resurrection? Put it another way, what were the results of Jesus' resurrection? And if you have the service supplement, those six points are there. Point number one. First, Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 6.14, 6, we read this. God raised the Lord, talking about Jesus, and will also raise us up by his power. And so what we see in the New Testament is that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead to eternal life. There were other people that Jesus raised from the dead, like Lazarus, but they all died again. Jesus rose to eternal life. Now, we're in this in-between time from Jesus until first coming and second coming. And while we're here in this time, death will continue to be a part of this world until Jesus comes again. But what we're told in the Bible is that one day everyone will be raised from the dead, some to eternal life in heaven and others to eternal death and punishment because they reject God. Point number two, Jesus' resurrection means that the Bible is good news of what God has done, not primarily advice to us for a good life. The word gospel was one, a word that was used uh, in the Greek back in Jesus' day. It actually wasn't a religious word. It was actually used more by the rulers. They would have their heralds go out and share the good news, the gospel, of what was going to happen because they were now in a position of influence. The church borrowed it and said, oh, but there's better good news, the, the good news that God gives us. And so with gospel meaning good news, both words are important good. God's good news is good for us. His news tells us that God provides rescue for us, that God offers hope to us, that God has made reconciliation and restoration between us and God certain for Christians. And then news. News is reported about what people are doing. Here the good news is about what God has done, what God is doing, not what we do. Now, what we do is important, but what God does is so much more important. So this good news that God is the one doing and it's recorded for us in the Bible is contrary to the way so many people treat the Bible. They see the Bible as a collection of stories along with advice for how to live a good life. And so some people think, okay, so some nice stories, but if I follow the advice of the Bible more than I don't. If I do more good deeds than I don't, then God will bring me to heaven and I will enjoy eternity, have an eternity to enjoy myself. And so where's the focus? It's on me. But life isn't about us. It's really about God. 
and what God is doing and what God has done. And it's about God's good news. And one Bible scholar kind of summarized Paul's teaching of the good news as this. The good news is the hope of the resurrection through Jesus because that gives hope, hope to us. The Bible speaks of the resurrection as the event upon which our faith in God stands or falls. The resurrection is not fake news. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, because there were people saying there is no resurrection, he responds and said, okay, let's say you're right. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. He disappeared somewhere, but he didn't, didn't rise from the dead. You and I then are stuck. We're stuck in our brokenness and our evil, and we have no hope. But Paul says, well, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So we aren't stuck. Don't have to stay that way. Then point three. Jesus' resurrection tells us that life is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If there's no resurrection, if there is no life after this life, then there's no purpose in life. You just live and die. You get the same thought in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament where it talks about life under the sun. That is, you're living life, but you don't see God at all. He's not in the picture. It's the same thing. It's vain. But there is more to life than just life on this earth. In fact, life on this earth is preparation for eternity. And so Jesus' resurrection gives life meaning because it makes an eter eternal life with God possible for us. And what we see in the Bible is that God made us for a purpose, an eternal purpose that begins right now. To know God. We talk in the Christian church about having a personal relationship with the God who created the universe. And, we, and it sounds strange if you haven't heard that before, but it's true because that's what God made us for. He made us to live life every day with him. He made us to enjoy him and to delight in him, and the result if we are doing that, is we will worship him. We will delight in him. We will honor him because he's worth it. Then point number four. Jesus' resurrection tells us that we do not need to fear death. Now, pretty much across the board in Western culture, we avoid the topic of death. And yet, here with the coronavirus, daily we're being given the numbers, the death toll, from in the United States and around the world. Just remember this. Until Jesus comes, death has a 100% rate. Okay? All of us are subject to it. And there's all kinds of causes. There are accidents. There's other sickness. There's old age. All of these things. It seems backward when you read the Bible, but Jesus defeated death by dying. He defeated death when he died. We read in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Therefore the children, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's talking about us, humanity, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus' death and resurrection defeated death and swallowed it in victory as one song put it 
the empty tomb says it all. Number five, Jesus' resurrection begins the restoration of life. In Genesis 1, we see that God created everything and we're told it was very good. It was perfect. In Genesis 2, God gives Adam a warning and says, you know, I've given you all the food in the garden, but there is one tree in the middle and I'm telling you right now, do not eat from it. And the day that you do, death will come. Now, in Genesis 3, we find out that Adam did disobey, but there's other pieces that get connected to disobeying because we don't just like that decide to disobey. There is turning away from God. There is not believing God and not trusting God. But on that day when Adam did disobey, death entered the world and all kinds of brokenness from it. And what we just saw, what we've been seeing today is that Jesus broke the power of death because Jesus gives life. Jesus gives eternal life to people who were spiritually dead. That's us. Jesus, even think about Jesus' miracles, his healing of people and feeding uh, thousands of people with just a handful of food, his raising people from the dead. That was all to show the beginning of the restoration. And then with his death and resurrection, he makes eternal restoration possible. And there is a sense in which every Christian actually experiences a double resurrection because the first comes when Christ gives us spiritual life and the second will come at the end of time when our bodies are resurrected and transformed. Then finally, Jesus' resurrection enables us to live in hope. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In the New Testament, often when you see the word hope, it is actually, you can actually replace it with the word expectation. We have a living expectation because we have a living Savior, a God who is alive and working today. And Jesus' resurrection shows us God's power and God's goodness. So in the middle of all the mess that life is right now, God is working. Now, too often you and I don't recognize God's work as his work because naturally our values aren't his. We actually have to be changed by God so that our values change. Our thoughts don't match his our ways don't match his, so we don't often see it, but it's there. And our hope begins with Jesus' resurrection because it is through his resurrection that Jesus brings us from spiritual death to eternal life. If we are, you and I are looking to God as the only way and as the only one who can save us from death and actually save us from ourselves, from our own selfishness, there is no other hope except in Jesus. So today, how does the resurrection change the way you live? God tells us that the same power he worked in Jesus' resurrection, he works in every Christian. And Jesus' resurrection gives us a radically new way of living where we trust not in ourselves, but in God. We trust in God's wisdom and his power, his mercy, his love, and his forgiveness every day, all through the day. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you and praise you that Jesus did come and live, that he died and he rose again. We thank you that we have a living hope because of Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would work in us, continue to work in us to change the way we think and live, to change us, that we would trust you and live with you and depend on you every day, all through the day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.